Podcasting from Singapore and broadcasting all around the world. You're listening to the Ignite EdTech Podcast with Craig Kemp, created by an educator for educators and streaming to the world. Now, over to your host, Craig Kemp. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Ignite EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Kemp, and I'm honored to have you join us. As most of you know, I continue to work with the incredibly talented Mark Quinn to improve the final audio quality of this podcast. He has his own podcast production studio that provides editing and mastering services to content creators. To connect with Mark, please see the details in the podcast notes below. Last week, I asked you about portfolios for educators and adult learning. Thank you for your thoughts and ideas. So many of your ideas and thoughts aligned perfectly with our thinking and research at EduSpark and what we're building to support educators in their learning journey. We can't wait to share more soon, so watch this space. This week, I wanted to ask you about your ecosystem for learning. What tech stack do you use and what do you love and dislike about it? Let's talk Google, Microsoft, Apple, and everything in between. It's time to be honest and open and share the facts. I'd love to hear from you. Please share with us via our Ignite EdTech social streams. I look forward to hearing your responses soon. A tool that has positively impacted the authentic and purposeful use of technology into classrooms and meeting rooms that I have worked in is Peer Deck. Peer Deck is an interactive presentation and lesson delivery tool that can be used via the web or as an add-on or integration within a variety of other programs. Students join teachers' Peer Deck sessions with codes and then use their devices to follow along with their teacher's slideshow on a classroom screen. Additionally, in a paid premium plan, students can complete student-paced decks in class or at home. With in-person delivery, teachers can pause at points where they've added one of several different question types, including drawing, dragging, text, number, and multiple choice. Teachers can view students' responses to these questions immediately, either one at a time or in a grid view, as well as share the results anonymously on screen for all students to see. Additional features allow students to review and respond to daily news articles, create flashcards with drawings, play games, and practice responsible digital citizenship. Depending on whether they have a free or paid account, teachers can also have handy controls over the student experience. For instance, teachers can lock presentations from student contributions, project student answers, and much more. I love PeerDeck and the development that they do by listening to educators, looking at integrations, and changing their product to best support student and adult learning. I highly recommend that you take a look at the link in the description below, PeerDeck.com. Last week, we talked about digital portfolios for educators. If you're interested in learning more, go back and listen to last week's episode. This week, I wanted to talk about digital ecosystems. As a Google and Apple fanboy, I couldn't imagine moving to a different ecosystem. The change, I think, would be too much for me to handle and develop again. I have such a good flow with the systems and tools that I use now, and I struggle to comprehend what it would be like if I didn't have a choice. 
Maybe you're in a situation like my good friend who recently moved from Asia in the international school environment to a school in Australia. His classroom was on fire using Apple hardware and Google software while he was in Asia. He had his routines nailed down and knew how to get the best out of his students each and every day using technology to add value to learning. Then a big change, moving to Australia and a complete change of ecosystem, and that feeling that we often get of professional downgrading. That feeling we get when we change a technology or something else, and it just doesn't meet our expectations. I'm sure you've had it. I know I have. I know that he's doing fine and going to be fine because he's one of the most committed and talented educators I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. But the journey to learn something new and not feel like you're hitting the same levels of before because of the tools you're using is not easy. I know the feeling and it's something that's common and often finds us spiraling down because of an unexpected change. So how do we move beyond that feeling? My feelings are that the only way to move forward is to embrace change and make the most out of opportunities, turn students into expert learners, push boundaries like you've never done before, try new things and push yourself and your learners to be different, learn differently and ultimately accept that while the change hasn't been ideal, you have made the best of the cards you're dealt. Technology is a tool to add value to learning. The amazing teacher behind this learning is still there, so keep this energy and power alive. Utilize technology when and how you can, but empower your learners with that power of an incredible teacher that hasn't changed. As we move through our teaching careers, don't let changes in technology get you down, frustrate you, or keep you from being at your best. Stick to your guns, do what you do best, and be the person that you've spent your career to be. I'd love to hear from you to learn more about the digital ecosystems that you use for learning and some of the changes that you've gone through. Please reach out with your ideas and thoughts. Every week, I bring you a short interview with some of my edu heroes, an engaging learning experience with someone who makes a difference in education every day with a particular focus or angle towards educational technology. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Richard Gerver. Let's have a listen to the chat. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Richard Gerver, who is a long-time connection of mine, an inspirational leadership expert from the UK. And yes, he's blue tick verified on Twitter. Richard's work is diverse, and he's highly sought after. So even locking down a time to chat today is amazing. Author of the number one bestsellers, Change and Simple Thinking, offers a groundbreaking look into how the world is dealing with the challenge of unleashing human potential and embracing and leading change in the most uncertain of times. A former globally renowned and life-changing school principal has taken innovation by storm. Over the last two decades, he's transitioned his global reputation for leadership and education and is now regarded as one of the most original and authentic thinkers around human leadership and organizational transformation in the world. He's been named UK Business Speaker of the Year three times, and it's an honor to chat to him today. Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready to talk about education and technology integration? Oh, I absolutely am, Craig. A, thank you so much for having me on, and B, thank you so much for reading the introduction that my mother emailed you. That's really kind. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm super excited about this. Let's go. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do? Well, I mean, my my role really is the same as it's been for the last um, 14 years or so since I left my job as a school principal. 
Um, and increasingly, that's been my passion and fascination with helping people uh, understand change on a personal level, on a professional level, through leadership. Um, and of course, over the last couple of years, with the horrifying events that, that we've uh, all been victims of one way or another through the pandemic, and of course, now what we're witnessing in Ukraine, I think, you know, that, that passion, that commitment to, to supporting people through change and uncertainty seems more salient now than it ever has been. So really, that, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. And, and what inspires me, I think, more than anything is absolutely believing uh, as an optimist in the future and believing that we're on the cusp, despite the darkness we're seeing and living through right now, we're on the cusp of the next great human renaissance. And I think, you know, as educators particularly, if we're cognizant of that, the way we work and lead education for and with our students could mean the difference as to how quickly that renaissance occurs. Yeah, you've summed it up so nicely there, Richard. It's it really, you know, it's got me thinking about what we can do that is better to to really shake up and change the way this happens. And you do a lot of work uh, across multiple spaces, as I've highlighted already. But one of the things that interested me is your work as the president of the UK School Library Association. What inspired you to lead here, and what are you doing in this space? Oh gosh. Well, I mean it came to me by accident, I have to be honest, and it's uh it's a voluntary role. They approached me um actually not long after COVID really hit here in the UK, so around March 2020. Um and they had an outgoing president who'd served his uh, three or four year term. And they said we'd love you to get involved and and to see if you can help us with your profile to raise the importance of school libraries. And of course, actually, what's been extraordinary, <laughs> perversely, there probably could never have been a better time to get the message across, you know, because over the last couple of years, as all our schools have closed all over the place, as there has been, um, what, what also has been exposed, I think, is the extraordinary limitation of access to technology for so many of our children around the world. You know, for me, the passion is, first of all, it's about digital access. It's also about analog access. You know, so many of our kids over the last couple of years have been denied the opportunity to what a great library offers and what great librarians offer. But there's another thing as well, which I think we've seen creeping in over the last decade or so, but has been profound in the last three or four years. And that's helping young people truly understand the complexities of social media, of misinformation, um, and how we can give them the skills they need to ensure they know what they're immersing themselves in is actually stuff they can, they can censor for themselves. So all of those things for me are reasons why becoming the president of the School Libraries Association was both an honour and a privilege, but also something that I think is so incredibly relevant. And also, I think because of my background as a teacher and a school principal, we need to help school leaders under now understand the profound connectedness between a really well-run library, both digital and analogue, and how that can truly impact on the quality of the education in their schools. I, I love what you've talked about there, Richard, I really do. And I think it's going to be particularly interesting 
for our listeners to reflect on what that looks like in their school and in their context, because as we know, it's very different depending on where you are and where you're listening from. And I'd love to hear from them as well about their experience with libraries. I've been through this as a director of technology and innovation in a large international school around the idea of what does a future library look like? You know, do you get rid of all the books? Do you keep all the books? Do you bring in technology? Do you not bring in technology? And they're all really relevant conversations to have that are quite context specific. So I'm really interested to hear about a global perspective on this as well. So thanks for for highlighting those things. You also have a course on edusparkworld and you've been a huge advocate for us and, and we love amplifying your incredible work to the world. Tell us a little bit more about your course and why listeners should jump on and learn here. Well, first of all, I just want to say um, thank you, Craig, to you and the team, because I think EduSpark World is honestly um, a game-changing resource. You know, one of the things I've always been passionate about when it comes to digital technology is how we use digital technology in the education space to democratize learning. And of course, that isn't just for our students, but for its, it's for a are hardworking and committed professionals around the world. And I think what you've done and what you're working on is is truly very, very special. So the work around change has always fascinated me. And of course, that doesn't come from a wider context. It actually comes from my own experience and life as a former teacher and, and school principal. And a fascination with why in education, all of us desperately want to do the right thing for our our young people, but we feel so exhausted by the very word change. So many of us in education are so driven down by that top-down approach, by the constancy of the silver bullets that are being fired our way, by the next new initiative we're being told we have to implement. And I think when you guys came to me and said, look, what do you think? For me, I really, really wanted to share my thoughts, experience and understanding around change, the nature of it, why we find it so difficult and daunting and complex and exhausting in our schools. And most importantly, how we can find a way to not necessarily be better at it, but to embrace it more. And I think a lot of what I try to do on the course on EduSpark World is first of all, help people to understand, but then also to help them recalibrate it and help them find ways to feel more in control of the change and development in their classrooms and in their schools. Because, you know, that's really the thing about change. People don't mind it if they feel they're being proactive rather than reactive, if they feel they're being active in the participation of that change rather than being victims of it. And so really that's what the core is about trying to explore on a deep human level what it means for us as educators living in the world we live in right now. And everyone that I've chatted to that have come in contact with your work and your course and your books, uh, totally inspired by that. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do in EduSpark that you've alluded to is how do we actually make change? You know, it's all well and good talking the talk, but we need to walk the walk and we need to actually focus now on that transfer of learning. How do we transfer that learning and make that change? So I love that things that you've talked about there with that that change element and what we need to do now, because we're in this phase uh, in our world that you, you started off with that 
if we're going to change, now's the time to change. It's the perfect opportunity to jump on board and do that. In addition to everything else you do, Richard, you're also a published author. Tell us a little bit about your books and why we should be checking them out. And I know that you know, you're a very humble person. You don't like talking about your own stuff, but I think it's really important that our listeners learn about the wealth of information that they can get from you. So tell us a little bit about those books. Gosh, thank you, Craig. That's any time, you know, it's really funny just to any of you out there that have, have never written a book or haven't yet written a book to hear yourself described as a published author, no matter how many books you've written and, and how over how many years is still an incredible kick. Honestly, I have to tell you. And I, I would describe myself to an extent as an accidental author. You know, like so many people in so many walks of life, I was a committed, passionate educator, loved my job. And, and we haven't got time to go into now why I decided to, to move into the world I now inhabit. But it was none of it was for bad reasons. But actually, I, my first book was written, well, it was published in 2000 and gosh, 2010, I think. And it wasn't originally supposed to be a book. I, I had a mentor, the, the person who actually got me into what I do now, and, and also actually who mentored me through some of the most uh, dynamic moments I had as a school leader transforming, well, my community transformed a school. Uh, and that mentor may well be known to, to some of your audience, the wonderful Sir Ken Robinson, who sadly left us, uh, you know, uh, just over a year ago now. He said to me, because he was convincing me that I should leave my job in school and go out into this big world and share my thoughts and stories and, and what have you. And he convinced me to write my first book. Um, although at the time he said, just get down your experiences on paper. Um, and in particular, he was talking about my work as, as the head, the school principal at, at Grange Primary School, which is where I, I guess I made my name. And he said, just get it down on paper because the memories will fade and you need to capture it. Anyway, I'm glad I did. And with his help, it became a book. And that was my first book, which was Creating Tomorrow's Schools Today, um, which was split into two halves. The first half was my own passion and belief around what the future of education should be. And then the second half of the book, which I think makes it quite unique, was actually the story of Grange and how we applied that thinking to a, a real school transformation. Anyway, that book was, in my mind, when it was finally published, was to be my only book. You know, I, I didn't know I had anything else to say. And, and it's really important to me that I don't just churn out books because I want to, to have books on a shelf, but actually things have to really capture me enough to 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 feel I've got something I want to share with people. Anyway, a couple of years later, and we'd been living through the global economic crisis and the ramifications of that, I'd also started to work outside of education, talking to organizations and groups around the world around human leadership and change, really based on my own experiences. And I was approached by publishers and they said, look, have you got something around that. And that's where my second book came from, which was called Change, Learn to Love It, Learn to Lead It. 
which is a more generic exploration, really akin to some of the issues I talk about on the, the EduSpark course, to, to the things I've talked about around change. And, and very, I was incredibly lucky. Right place, right time. That book went to number one in the business book charts in various countries around the world. So this former elementary school teacher suddenly had a number one best-selling business book. Who knew? Um, <laughs> certainly not my economics teacher when I was a child. Anyway, that changed my life uh, for all kinds of reasons. And a third book came along uh, not long after, which in a way was a sequel, which was called Simple Thinking, which was really an extension of the work I'd started with change, but really exploring the whole essence of why is it we overcomplicate things? What can we do to simplify it? And also, at the same time, what became really clear as I researched and worked on the book was the idea of is success? what is the idea of success? What does it mean? Um, and again, do we overcomplicate our view of what success success means, what it takes to be successful. Um, and again, that was that that sold incredibly well. And I was very proud. And again, you know, like I thought, that's it. That's the last one. That's the end of the trilogy, which I thought was neat. And then a couple of years ago, for a long time, I suppose, over a decade between leaving my job on frontline education and, and exploring this, this bigger, vaster, more complex world, the number of times I would be in experiences and doing things and think, gosh, I wish I'd known that when I was a, a teacher or a, a school principal. And eventually, um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to write that down, all of it. And that's where my last book came from, which is called Education, a Manifesto for Change, which is really all those things that I wished I'd known when I was on the front line, that I've had the privilege to experience since, and thought might be interesting and stimulating for my colleague, my fellow educators and school leaders, in terms of helping them truly crystallize the narrative of what needs to happen happen in education in a constructive and positive way, in a big thinking way. You know, so much of what's happening in education debate and discussion at the moment, I think is essential, but is actually about the minutiae of what happens inside a classroom. And a lot of it actually is based, which again, I totally understand on making the system increasingly efficient. But we do need to lift our heads above the parapet. And I hope this book helps do that in saying, look, I understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. But in the long term, do we not need to think about transformation to ensure our children are genuinely better equipped for a world that is increasingly uncertain, increasingly changing, that technology will have a profound impact on, particularly things like AI? You know, we're seeing so much of that friction as we record this at the moment with the horrific events in Ukraine. And the fact that, you know, the world is going to continue to be this, this uncertain place because of environment, economy, socio, um, socio issues, all of these things. And how do we prepare our children better for that kind of long-term uncertainty and change? Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here, Richard, thinking, wow, I really am. It's, it's really inspirational to think about the work that you've done and the work that you're doing and the true change. You know, you're not just writing about change and talking about your experience of change. You're helping people create change. And I think that's a really important part of how we help people transfer learning 
into their classroom, into their buildings, into their business, whatever it is, and really try and affect change. So thanks for sharing that. Let's jump into some quick fire questions. The first thing that comes to your head and and a really brief why. What's your favorite EdTech book or resource? It's quite old school. It was actually published in 2017 by Anna Homiyoun, and it's called Social Media Wellness. Um, you know, although it's five years old now, I think it's a really potent reminder to us about the impact of social media on us and our children. And it's a really helpful guide onto how we can help young people navigate that complexity. And by the way, all of the things you've talked about, we've got links to that in the podcast notes below as well. So you can click through and see those. What is your go-to edtech tool that the listeners need to try, Richard? Gosh, this is a really tough one for me because, of course, I'm no longer a frontline practitioner. Um, I'm going to refer back to what I said to you earlier about EduSpark, and and obviously I'm going to big it up. But what I would say to people is go to tools which help you democratize learning. Go to tools which don't necessarily just give you an A to B to C guide, but help help support you in your professional understanding, skill, and ability as an educator. So EduSpark is an incredible one. And also look for interactivity, because I think that building those places, that technology where we can build collaboration right now has never been more important. Yeah, fantastic shout out. I appreciate that too. Thank you, Richard. You've given us so much information here, so much amazing learning. I know that the listeners are going to want to follow up and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, first of all, a guarantee, Craig, anyone that takes the time to connect with me or communicate with me, I promise I will interact and get back to them. Um, The two best ways, I think, are uh, my Twitter account, which is at Richard Gerver, and my website, which is uh, richardgerver.com. Either way, as I say, I promise if you interact with me, I will communicate back. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Inspirational as always. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on, Craig, and good luck to all of you out there as you continue to find your way through the complex times we're living in for our children. Next week, join me for episode 86 of the Ignite EdTech podcast, when I'm joined by Jennifer Chang Wathel. Want to win a prize? Enter now at bit.ly slash edtechwin and we'll regularly announce winners of incredible prizes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and share the podcast with your PLN and colleagues. Please remember to spend a few minutes to rate this podcast too on your podcast channel of choice so we can reach even more educators and edtech enthusiasts globally. Remember, you have the chance to win as well. Check out the links in the description for more, and I'll see you again next week. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode and be in the drawing to win prizes every week. If you know others that would enjoy the show, please hit that share button and brighten their day. Join us again next week for your weekly EdTech hit with at Mr. Kemp NZ. We'll see you again soon.